you enjoyed that say man take your bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of acts chapter number 12 and as you are turning there allow me just a few moments to say how much i appreciate spending the day with you all and what a joy it has been for me to be able to come and just see firsthand what the lord is doing here at, at this church the singing tonight has ministered to my heart. I can't tell you on what level. Uh, you'll never never know that. But the singing has ministered to my heart. And I'm grateful for the testimony, the choir singing, and just the spirit of this church. And uh, as uh, your pastor said, never take for granted what the Lord is doing here. Uh, me and your preacher, we get to go out occasionally, and we're in different places around different people. And I will tell you this tonight, what you have here at You Follow Baptist Church is not everywhere. And so I'm grateful for what the Lord is doing and has done, and I'm excited about the days ahead and the things that the Lord has for this church, and I just believe soon and very soon, unless the Lord Jesus Christ uh, comes back, that uh, this property will not be able to contain all the goodness and blessings of God. And, uh, and I appreciate your pastor tonight. I appreciate his vision, uh, his preaching, his leadership abilities, and uh, you certainly have a treasure here in Brother Potter. And I know that you're grateful for him tonight. Let's all stand together. I'm not going to take much of your time tonight. This is such a simple message. I really wish that we could close out the day with maybe something a little more profound or theologically deep. But I do want to exhort you from God's Word on a subject that we all know is vital to our Christian life and to our faith. And we'll find that tonight in Acts chapter number 12. I want us to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read down to verse number 5, and everything that I feel like the Lord's put on my heart to say will be found in verse number 5, but I want to give these first four verses as a context. <clears throat> the Bible says, Now about that time here the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then we have here divine commentary. It says, Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, speaking of Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions. That's uh, 16 Roman soldiers that's keeping guard of Peter in jail. So there's four groups of four. There's these quaternions of soldiers, it says, to keep him intending after Easter, this is still speaking of Passover, to bring him forth to the people. The Bible says this in verse number 5. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Now I want to mark that in my Bible, and I want to read it again. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. You can be seated tonight. As you come to Acts chapter number 12, you find in verse number 1 where Luke sets the scene, so to speak, to give us an historical context of what's going on in this particular chapter. He says in verse number 1, look at it please, now about that time. Let's stop right there and ask a big question. What time is it that Luke is referring to? As you go back just to the immediate context and the overall context of the history of the church, you'll find that this is a great time of revival. It's a great time of expansion of the church. 
in Acts chapter number 11, they've went as far now as to Antioch. A great revival is breaking out. Jew and Gentile alike are being saved. Paul and Barnabas have come for a season to disciple them and to teach them. They're sending out missionaries, and so evangelism, expansion, and great excitement is taking place in the church of Jesus Christ. If you go back just another chapter, Acts chapter number 10, you'll find where Cornelius is being saved. Peter's gone into his house. He preaches the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes down, and uh, they are converted. They are saved. And this is historic because now the church at large understands that it's not just the faith confined to Jews being saved in Jerusalem, but even Gentiles, uh, the house of Cornelius, have receive faith by the Lord Jesus Christ, and that word is gone out. And so the church understands that God is doing a mighty work, not just among the nation of Israel, but to all nations they can be saved by the grace of God. And then if you go back just another chapter, that's the great chapter where Saul of Tarsus, the great persecutor of the church, has been converted. And now the great persecutor of the church has become the great preacher of the church, the one who was the advocate, or the adversary rather, of the church is now the chief advocate and spokesman. So great things are taking place prior to Acts chapter number 12. Revival, expansion, uh, excitement, people are getting saved, Jew and Gentile alike. God is moving in a mighty and powerful way. And Luke says this, now about that time. At that time, when God is really working among the people, there's an adversary that rises up and comes against the people of God. Look at it again. It says, now about that time, Herod the king. Now, who is this Herod? This is the grandson of of Herod the Great. And we all know Herod the Great was the one who had all the children executed at the birth of Christ. History tells us he's a wicked man. And his grandson here in the text is no less wicked than his grandfather. He's had own family members put to death. He's a vile man. And because of political reasons, making an alliance with the Jews, probably the Sanhedrin and those religious hypocrites of the day, he, he sees that it pleases them to persecute the people of God. And so Luke says this is what he's done. Now about that time, Herod the king has stretched forth his hands. That's an interesting imagery there. He stretches forth his hands. Uh, that, that imagery there of stretched out hands in the word of God is always a sign and symbol of authority and power. Anybody that stretches out their hands in the Word of God is always demonstrating their authority over someone else. You'll find this all throughout the Scripture. You remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt land, no less than a hundred times, the Bible says that God led them out of Egypt land with a mighty hand. By the outstretched hand of God, He was able to overcome the enemy. Uh, you find Jeremiah, he says this. He was down at the potter's house, and he saw the clay, and it was marred, but it was marred in a good place because it was marred in the outstretched hands of the potter. And the potter had the authority and the power to rework the clay. Nehemiah said this, I was able to go down to Jerusalem and build the wall in, in, in an amazing amount of time because the good hand 
of my God was upon me. There's something about an outstretched hand. And so Herod the king, for political reasons, has stretched out his hands against the church. But not just against the church. Did you notice what it said in verse number 1? Look at it. He says he stretched out his hands or forth his hands to vex or to wipe out or to greatly discourage. Here it is. Certain of the church. And so he is strategizing and plotting against the church of Jesus Christ knowing I don't have to take out the whole bunch. I don't have to shut down the entire assembly. All I have to do is target certain individuals and vex them. And if I can vex them and discourage them and take them out, then I can take out the entirety of the congregation. He's doing this. He's already executed and killed James with the edge of the sword, who was a great religious and spiritual leader in the early days. As a matter of fact, everyone looked to James in Jerusalem as a spokesman, as a disciple, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, a spiritual leader. But imagine this, if you will, as a church. Now that leader is dead. He's gone. Imagine how discouraging that would be for you follow Baptist Church tonight for a, a strong spiritual leader in your church because of the faith that he has is suddenly persecuted and executed. And James saw that this works so well that now I'm not going to only take out James. I'm going to do the very same thing to the fiery apostle Peter. And had it not been for the holy days, And had it not been for Passover and pacifying those uh, religious hypocrites of the Jews, he would have already had him killed, but he locked him up with these four quaternions, these 16 Roman soldiers, because he understands something. I don't have to get the entire church. I only have to get certain individuals. I don't have to get the entire home, but if I can just target the dad in that home. I don't have to get the entire business, but if I, can, if I can put a target on the CEO, I don't have to take out the entire church, but if I can discourage the pastor or some of the deacons or maybe the worship leader, then suddenly the entire church is up in arms. And so we find in these first four verses the setting about that time Herod the king stretches out his hands, vexing certain of the church, and suddenly the church is in this spiritual quandary. What are we going to do? Imagine that tonight. If you were to come into this church and certain individuals are either dead or locked up and the threat has been issued out and there is authority that's come against you that's threatening you with persecution, imprisonment, and maybe even execution. Here's the question that begs all of us. What are we supposed to do? And maybe we could translate this in our day and time with a culture that's around us and all the animosity that comes against the church and breathing out threatenings against our faith and against the assembly and against our worldview. What is the church of Jesus Christ to do? I'll tell you what they did not do in Acts chapter number 12. They didn't march downtown and protest. Uh, They didn't make their signs and say that we demand our rights. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. They didn't quit. They didn't throw in the towel. They didn't stop coming to Sunday night church. Thank you, preacher. Amen. 
They didn't re-strategize and say, how are we going to approach this now? The Bible says something so instrumental, so instrumental that the entire door of this chapter swings upon the hinge of verse number 5 where it says this is what they do. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for Him. And prayer changed things in Acts chapter number 12. And I am convinced with all my heart, if we want to see power in our churches and power in our families and power in our preaching and power in our ministries, I wonder if you'd say amen. We've got to get back to praying. Praying. And and the prayers that were made in this one verse tonight, so significant and so important. If you'll give me just a few more minutes, I want to show you what kind of praying that it was. Number one, it was ceaseless prayer. Praying, and I want you to get that in your mind tonight. It was ceaseless praying. If you look at verse number five, it says this but prayer was made without ceasing. That sounds so simple enough. Ceaseless prayer. Jesus said, Men ought always to pray and faint not. Paul says that we are to pray always with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance. The Apostle Paul said in one place to pray without ceasing. And the early church now is embodying that spiritual reality that it is possible to pray with a ceaseless spirit. The word is ectinus in the Greek, praying without ceasing. It's continual prayer and fervent prayer and persistent prayer and nonstop prayer and relentless prayer and never attaching an amen to the end of your prayer kind of prayer. It is literally the idea to live in the spirit of prayer. And that's what they're doing in verse number 5. They are praying without ceasing. I looked this up, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but the word ectinus, to pray without ceasing. You know what it literally means? It literally means to outstretch your hands to heaven, And ask God to fill your hands, whatever the request is, and to keep praying until God fills your hands with that particular petition. I I think that's interesting when you come to this passage of Scripture. Because when you get the idea of actinus, of praying with outstretched hands, we know what outstretched hands means, right? It means one with authority, one with power, one with control, one that is exercising dominion in some kind of realm. Now notice what they did not do. They did not outstretch their hands to Herod because there was no authority there. They didn't stretch out their hands to Rome because there was no authority there. They didn't even outstretch their hands one toward another, but with a ceaseless spirit and ongoing prayer, they got on their knees, they stretched their hands to God because they recognized and realized that the only power that they had as individuals and the only power that they had as a local New Testament church was found in the spirit and the power of prayer and praying to a living God. And I would submit this to you tonight, that prayer is only powerful when we aim it and direct it to one, the one who sits upon the throne. I wonder sometimes, even in my own life, if I stop short of praying and not pray without ceasing in the spirit of prayer, asking and expecting God, I wonder if I'm like the widow woman that just keeps going back to the unjust judge till she gets what she wants. 
Or the Seraphonician woman who would not take no for an answer from Christ after he told her no three times. Or the man at midnight with a spirit of importunity that just kept knocking and knocking and pleading on the door until God gave him the bread. And it's only those who pray with a spirit of actinus that get to eat bread at midnight. Those who pray without ceasing. Years ago, my grandfather and my grandmother, they're in heaven tonight. But years ago, when they got married, my grandfather married uh, my grandmother because he told her that he had been saved when he was really not saved. He wanted to marry her, and he loved her so much. And um, it wasn't long after the marriage was over with that he went back to his old ways of gambling. He was a heavy, heavy drinker and uh, just lived that kind of lifestyle. And, And Granny was so disoriented and discombobulated about the change in my grandfather and she got in travail with God about God working in Paul Paul's life but the more she prayed it seemed like the worse that he got and there came a point in time when she kept asking him to come to church and kept telling him about Christ and pleading with him to get his life in order. There was one night that he got, he got so uh, at, at odds with her that he physically assaulted her and knocked her down and said, I don't want anything to do with your God, your church, or your Bible. Stop praying for me. That week there was a cottage prayer meeting, what they used to refer to as a cottage prayer meeting. It was a Friday night of the meeting. Uh, Granny was so discouraged and and so distraught about the relationship. She thought that maybe they were going to be getting a divorce. Uh, My mother was a little girl and her brother was a little boy at the time. And she thought, how am I going to raise children in this environment? Friday night at the cottage prayer meeting, she was sitting at the front of the church and she came down to the altar to pray. Paul Paul was at home, but he got to feeling so bad about the way he had been treating my grandmother that he went to that house to try to reconcile the relationship, not knowing that God was going to do something in his own heart that night. He was sitting in the back of the church. She was sitting on the front. She had no idea that my grandfather was even in the building. She comes down at the invitation, and literally this is what she does. She gets down on her knees. She stretches out her hands as she had done so many times before in the spirit of Actinus. And she said, God, I need you to save Joe. I need you to fix my family. God, I need you to work a miracle, and I need you to do it tonight. Paul's watching all of this from the back of the church. He gets under Holy Ghost conviction. He walks down the aisle, kneels down beside her, and as she is praying, God, save Joe. Joe stands up and says, God, just save me. I'm telling you, the reason why I told you that story is because there was a time in Granny's life she felt like quitting. She felt like giving up. She had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. But I want to tell you tonight, you follow Baptist Church. You may have prayed a thousand times for many, many years, but I've got some good news for you. There is a God in heaven who hears and answers prayer. That's why the Bible says to ask and to seek and to knock and to keep on asking and to keep on seeking and to keep on knocking because behind that door, there is a God who will open it up and pour out the blessings from heaven. But you cannot give up in praying. You must keep praying and keep praying till God breaks through. 
That's the way the church of Jesus Christ prayed here for Peter, who was in this situation. The Bible says they prayed without ceasing. I wonder how often I fail in continuing in prayer with a spirit of prayer until God provides an answer. And notice this, it wasn't just ceaseless prayer. But it was corporate prayer because the Bible says prayer was made without ceasing. And then mark these next three words in verse number five. Of the church. Don't miss that. Of the church. It doesn't say prayer was made without ceasing of the presbytery or the deacons or the elders or the pastors or the youth ministry. A prayer was made without ceasing of, of the church. The entirety of the church got involved with this corporate praying. It's the unity and the unison of the local New Testament church. And let me just say this tonight. Prayer has always been and has been designed by God to be the great uniter of the fellowship. Because there's so many things that divide people in these days and time. Just watch Facebook for a little while. You'll see how divided and contentious we are. But God has designed prayer so much so that it's the great uniter of the faith. That it brings together all these parts and pieces and all the various components of the body of Christ and unifies them in harmony. The word is symphonio, where we get the word symphony in our language. And it means to bring it all together so that there's one collective sound. There's harmony. There is symphony. I never forget going to the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra for the very first time. And there was this young girl on the stage with her little cello. And she played a note, just a little note. And the spotlight was upon her. And it was nice. It was quaint. But I'm thinking $100 a ticket for this. There's got to be more. Thanks be unto God there was more because then the light uh, came off of her and then it went to the brass section and all of a sudden the brass section's playing that same note that this little girl was playing. And then the percussions came in and then before I realized it, 150 something instruments now playing that one single solitary note that she played. And where it was quaint and nice and all right, when she did it by herself, I'm telling you something. When the entire orchestra got in harmony and in symphonio together, it was breathtaking and it was almost captivating as we listened to them play in unison. And I think with all my heart, that's what prayer does to the heart of God. There's no doubt in my mind that one of you tonight, just one of you, could come down to an altar and pray and God would hear your prayer. God would answer your prayer. And I believe it will get through to heaven. But I wonder what it must be like on the other side of glory as Christ is sitting on the throne and the Holy Ghost of God is making intercession not just for one saint, but a symphonio of saints that come together praying in one mind and in one accord. That was the power of the early church. That whatever they did, they did it together. And I believe the reason why we have such powerless churches in these days and time is because somewhere along the line, we have stopped praying together. We've stopped coming together. And we've allowed the enemy to conquer and divide us. But here in this circumstance, the church not only prayed ceaselessly, they prayed corporately. I want to share this with you. I was in coming Georgia preaching probably seven or eight years ago now. 
There was a young man after the church came to me and said, Pastor, uh, I, was, I was an evangelist, but he called me pastor. He says, can I have this entire church pray for me? And he told me a situation. I said, well, I'm not the pastor. I'll take you to the pastor. And he began telling us what was going on. His wife got strung out on methamphetamines. They had run and operated a business together, and because of her absence, the business now was almost gone. Uh, his children had been taken out of the home. Defects had come and gotten the children and put them in a relative's home. And he said, today I got a letter from my mortgage company, and they said that they're going to foreclose on our house. And he said, when I got the letter for some or another, it just it broke me. And I'm here at this church as a visitor today, and he said, Preacher, you prayed about prayer. You preached about prayer tonight, and if what you said is true, do you think this entire church could come and pray over me and my circumstance and my situation? The pastor said, Yes, let's do it right now. There's probably four or five hundred people there that night, and they all gathered around the building, some over him, and we all prayed corporately for this young man. We said a man gave the benediction, and I went on about my life. It was probably maybe five or six weeks later. On a Monday morning, I got a, got a phone call from the secretary. She put me through. A young guy called and says, Pastor Kikendall, do you remember me? I said, yeah, I remember you. I said, what's going on, man? He said, well, he said, just a couple of days after that meeting, he said, my wife was in downtown Atlanta at a known crack house, and there was an old country preacher standing on the, pre- on the corners of the street, and he was preaching the gospel. She got under conviction, and right there in downtown Atlanta, she bowed down, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. He said, Preacher, she's at home. And God's working on our marriage. It's not perfect, but God's working on our marriage. And because she's back, and she's clean, and she's sober, we're able to put some of the pieces of our business back together. Defacts called and said that they're going to they're gonna let the kids come home in another month or so. He says, but then the reason why I called you is because I got a letter today from Citibank, and they're going to put all that on the back end of my loan, and I'm going to be able to keep my house and keep my children and keep my marriage and keep my sanity and keep my peace. He said, preacher, what you said that night, it sure did work in my life. And I said, what did I say? And he said, you said this. That God answers prayer. Tonight I wonder, I wonder how oftentimes we only bear our own burdens and only think about our own self, but corporately the church of Jesus Christ came together because of a need in the congregation. And then it says this as a final component. Prayer was made without ceasing. There's your ceaseless prayer. Of the church, there's the corporate prayer. All of us together. But then it says, unto God for him. Don't you get that preposition? Unto God for him. For who? For Peter. Because he's locked up for quaternions and soldier, and he's about to face death. But they prayed for him. It's certain prayer. It's certain prayer. It's not just ceaseless not just ongoing. It's not just corporate. They're all coming together. But they're all ceaselessly praying, corporately praying, certainly praying, specifically praying, intentionally praying about something that only God can fix. You see, beloved, tonight God specializes in specific prayer. God loves to provide 
rams in the thicket. He loves to provide meal in the barrel. Oh, it's the God that I serve that loves to provide children in the womb. And that's why Hannah said it was for this child I prayed. Not just some child, not just a child. It was for this child. I prayed intentionally, specifically. Oh, I'm so guilty tonight. I come to the throne room with vague generalities. Bless this, help this, do that. But I wonder how oftentimes I rob my own life of blessings because I fail to specifically and certainly pray. You see, they weren't just praying for God to bless the church. They weren't just praying for persecution to be relieved. No, they got in touch with God and they honed in their request and they began calling out the name of Peter with a spirit of intention. I wonder if we do that tonight. I got a buddy in closing. He's got a nursing home ministry in West Virginia. And he said one Saturday night that he visited the nursing home and there was a lady there in her 90s said, Preacher, I've lived a good life. I just want to go home. Would you pray that God would take me home tonight? He said, Man, I didn't, I couldn't pray God killed this lady. I didn't, I didn't know what to say. So I just sat down with her and I just started praying in very general terms. He said, I said something like this. Oh God, I pray that you'd bless our dear sister tonight. And she stopped him. And she said, tell him it's Betty Smith. He said, yeah, I'll do that. He said, oh, God, I pray you'd bless Betty Smith tonight. I pray your spirit would come into this place. And she stopped him again. And she said, tell him it's the Golden Oaks Nursing Home in West Virginia. He said, absolutely. Oh, God, I pray you'd bless Betty Smith in the Golden Earth Nursing Home in West Virginia. May your spirit come into this room. Hold on, preacher. Tell him in the prayer it's room 210. Dear Lord, I pray you bless Betty Smith in the Golden Earth Nursing Home in room 210. I pray you. And then she said, tell him it's bed A. And the lady beside said, yes, dear God, it is bed A. He starts praying that prayer. I mean, he's honing in. He's praying specifically the desires of this woman's heart. And he says, amen. He goes home, and a couple hours later, the charge nurse calls the preacher buddy of mine and said, I just want you to know, with the biggest smile on her face, I came in to check on Betty Smith just a little while ago, and she had done slipped out into glory world. It's amazing when we really start praying for him. See, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God. For what? For him. Let me ask you this tonight as we all stand. What would you ask God for specifically if you thought God would give it? I wonder if there's any members here at this church specifically tonight specifically that would say God send revival to you fallen what if there's anybody here tonight say God specifically save my son and my daughter that's not yet come to saving faith or my husband or my wife you know what happened that night Paul Paul got saved six months later he announced his call to preach 
for 40 years on the backside of Atlanta. He pastored and started churches. His son was a pastor. His grandsons were pastors. I'm a pastor. My children are serving the Lord. You know what happened that night when Granny got on her knees and stretched out her arms to heaven? God doesn't just answer her prayer that night. He's still answering her prayer. And tonight, Paul Paul's in heaven. And Granny's in heaven. But the prayer is living on. I wonder what you could pray tonight that would live on for generations and generations and generations. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I believe there's people all in the building that ought to come tonight. And ask God to do something in their lives. As your pastor comes, why don't we pray certainly this evening? Altars open tonight. Let's make decisions for Christ. Some of us need to pray for those spouses. Maybe a wayward child tonight in your family. Maybe for God to save your babies. Maybe for our church that God would continue to bless and to continue to work. As Matt sings, this altar's open. Give it to him tonight. Don't hold out. You can pray at your seat or at the altar. Matt's going to Life kiss me down. This world can be a lonely place to be. I wonder, oh God, why then I try to analyze all the possibilities when there is no reason or rhyme. Give it to him tonight. It's out of my hands this time. I just fall on my knees. He hears my plea. strength is nearly gone oh yes and I feel so all alone I just fall I fall on my Doubt clouds my mind, and I'm haunted by those old memories. I want to run away because I am afraid to face reality. Oh, then there is a secret place. Where I'm overtaken by grace, I just fall on my knees. He hears my plea. He knows my needs. When my strength is nearly gone And I feel so 
all alone I just fall I fall on my knees Father we love you Lord we do thank you Lord we thank you tonight we can come boldly to your throne Lord we thank you that you answer prayer Lord we thank you that you're making intercession on our behalf tonight God, I thank you for, Lord, sending your man here today, Lord, for exactly what we needed. Lord, I pray, God, that we'd apply, Lord, what we've heard tonight. Lord, I thank you for a church that does pray together. Lord, let's pray for each other. But God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to continue the things which we've done. Lord, we understand that any good that happens and any miracles you've done aren't because of us, they're because of you, Lord. Lord, it's amazing what you do when we unite together in prayer. Lord, may we be a church of prayer, both corporately and individually. Lord, may our attendance not just be great this morning and tonight, but may it be great tomorrow morning around your throne. Lord, I pray, God, that you would, Lord, just bless like only you can. We'll be careful to give you the praise for your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. What a sermon tonight. Can we give Pastor Kenny a hand tonight? Thank him. Thank him for coming.